Philippians 3, starting at verse 4. Though I myself had reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of the gospel. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all these things or have already been made perfect, for I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Uh, Before we look into those verses any further, I'm going to invite Patrick up and he'll be leading us as we come to God in prayer and bring him our requests and our thanks. Thanks. Well, let's come to God in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we can gather here this morning. We thank you that we can pray to you, Lord God, and we can be confident that you hear us, that the requests that we bring to you are heard, and that you love and that you care for us, Lord God, and you love for us to come to you in prayer with all that we need. We pray for our connect groups, for our recently started Bible studies and our our connect get-togethers and lunches, Lord God. We pray for these groups as they meet together that it would be in time of encouragement, it would be a time of growth and it would be a time of getting to understand and know you better, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to meet together, that you don't call us to just be individuals in faith, but that you call us to regularly meet to encourage one another, to build one another up and learn from one another. So we pray for our connect groups as they get further underway. We pray for our federal government with a recent by-election, Lord God. We pray for stability in our country. We pray for clarity for our leaders, that you would guide them, that you would give them wisdom and that you would give them direction as they make plans for the future and as they look over us. We pray for mission and ministry in our own church. We pray that we would be a mission-minded church, as we've been learning about in our Connect Group Bible studies. We pray that we would be a church which is looking outwards to wanting to grow our church, to be able to take the gospel to those who have not yet heard it, to be able to tell people about the good news that can be theirs as well. We pray that you would bless us as a church as we reach out to people in our local neighbourhoods, whether they be in this street here or streets and neighbourhoods nearby us. We pray for ministries in our church, for our children's ministries, for our music ministries and for our 
uh, adult ministries as well, Lord God, that you would bless the work that people do in them, that you would bless the work that they are, that they would be able to grow people in faith and understanding uh, and that we would be able to grow greater in our love for you, Lord God. We pray for church members who are abroad, Lord God, whether they be away for study or travelling or for other reasons, Lord God. We pray that you would bless them and keep them safe in what they're doing, uh, that they would be uh, remembering you, Lord God, that you would, they would be praying to you, Lord God, and that you would strengthen them and encourage them uh, while they are away from us. We pray for those who might be sick or are struggling at this time, Lord God. We pray that you would surround them with friends and family and church members to encourage them, to strengthen them and to pray with them, Lord God. Uh, we pray for those who might be going through difficult times, whether it be at work, whether it be with family, whether it be... Uh, for all manner of reasons, Lord God. We pray that you would encourage them, Lord God, and again surround them with friends and family to support them and that they would find comfort uh, in knowing that you love them, Lord God, that you care for them and that you always watch over them. We thank you, Lord God, that we can pray to you knowing that you do care for us, that you are always there for us and ultimately you have what is best planned for us, Lord. We thank you that we can know and trust in you. Uh, we can trust in the goodness of who you are. We can trust in the fact that you do have a plan for us, Lord God. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world to die on the cross so that we might have life, Lord God. We thank you uh, that uh, Jesus came so that we might know you better, so that we would be able to share in uh, the promise of heaven, Lord God. We just thank you, Lord God, again, that we can pray to you. We thank you that you are an amazing and wonderful God. We praise you, Lord God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Patrick. Um, please uh, keep your Bibles open or reopen them if they've somehow closed in the meantime. We're going to be working our way through those verses we just read from Philippians 3 uh, and it will be to your benefit if you can follow along as we do so. Uh, if you didn't get one at the door, there are some sermon outlines there for you to take notes on or follow along with. So please feel free to either take one uh, or make use of those. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Chariots of Fire. Um, I haven't actually seen the whole thing in one go. I've seen parts of it several times uh, on TV. I don't feel bad about giving away spoilers since it's 70 years old. Uh, but if you're not aware, Chariots of Fire is largely around the lives of two different men. Uh, they're both sprinters. They're both young men, uh, very good sprinters. Uh, they, they, for all intents and purposes, appear very similar. But on the inside, they're driven by very different things. Firstly, we have Eric Liddell. Uh, Eric Liddell is quoted in the movie saying this, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. The other man is Harold Abrahams. And Abrahams is quoted this, And now, in one hour's time, I will be out there again, I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Now here's a question. Out of those two sprinters, who do you think was the happier runner? <laughs> who do you think was more confident in themselves uh, or more joyful as they approach life? I mean, it's fairly obvious, isn't it? Uh, it's the man who could speak of running as a pleasure and of, of delighting in it. Uh, it's Eric Liddell, not Harold Abrahams. See, Abrahams need to find in running uh, purpose 
and pleasure and a reason for existing, in the end it actually robbed him of his joy. His desire to justify his existence by being a good runner burned him out and in essence led him to a desperate uh, and joyless life. Now we might say that's crazy. (laughs) Who would want to justify themselves by running of all things? It is extreme. But is it so unusual? I live for my work. I do anything for my kids. We hear that a bit more often, don't we? Or if we do something in our life badly, oh, at least I'm good at. Or we come to a situation, we lose uh, something, maybe a job, maybe our mobility, maybe our ability. My life is nothing without. So we're actually doing the same thing, aren't we? With good things, maybe careers or or children or sports or whatever, but we're using them to justify ourselves, to, to find our purpose and our reason for existence. And the problem is when we do that, we end up in the same place as Harold Abrahams did. A desperate existence. Indeed, a joyless existence in which everything is dry and difficult. Contrast that to Eric Liddell's confidence, (laughs) his freedom, his joy, uh, even in running, but in all of life. I mean, how how is that possible? Even more, how can we have that? Because it's surely desirable. Well, our passage today answers that question for us. Uh, If you've got a Bible in front of you, you'll see at the very top of the passage, all of this comes under rejoicing. (laughs) It's a passage of joy, it's a passage of confidence in the midst of success or failure or plenty or want, ability or inability. This passage shows us how we can have confidence and joy in all those things and more. And it's all in what we shape our life around what we prize and what we strive for. Now where we started our reading, uh, Paul is recounting before this this church a whole list of things that he used to treasure. Uh, He was circumcised, which means he's a devout Jew. He was an Israelite, a part of Benjamin, which is uh, a a good tribe in Israel. He had clean uh, blood, a a, a good bloodline. Uh, He was a Pharisee, so part of the elite of the Jews. He was zealous. He was a law keeper. He was, you know, this is a boasting list. (laughs) This is a lot of great things if you were a Jew, as strange as they all seem to us. Uh, Maybe if Paul was born today, he might say, I was born a Murdoch. I'm from old money. I was educated at Sydney Grammar, top of my class, double doctorate, high achiever, youngest billionaire in Australia and so on. Maybe he would say that. I don't actually know what people in those circles say. (laughs) Never been there. (laughs) But the point he's making is, I had a privileged life. I had a desirable life. These are things that people would strive for. These are things that people would dream about and aspire to. And now this is how he views it, verse 7. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Before, he would have counted all of those things in the profit column of the balance sheet of his life. There was a big positive down the bottom there. 
something to be proud of, something to boast about. But now, he says, everything's flipped around. All of that is in the loss column. It's got that little minus symbol next to it. In fact, even more, he goes further in verse 8, he says, it's, it's rubbish, trash. Uh, the word is literally quite crude, it's dung. Uh, dog poo is literally the word. That's how he views all of those previously desirable things. His life has taken this drastic U-turn. <laughs> He's not who he was. Why? Well, it's there in verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ. See, Paul has discovered something infinitely better and it is a source of great joy and confidence to him. What is it? Well, it's the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Why is that so good? I mean, most people know of Jesus. I mean, even if you have never been into church before, even if this is your first time, you've probably heard the name Jesus. <laughs> Maybe it's just a curse word, but you've heard it at least. But that's not the type of knowing that Paul's talking about here, is it? This is not an intellectual knowing. This is not just head knowledge of or about Jesus that he's describing. No, what he's talking about is knowing Jesus in experience or knowing Jesus in relationship. This is a personal knowledge he's talking about. He's talking about being with Jesus. I guess we can think of it a bit like this. It's like being a plus one at the royal wedding last week. Uh, the, the wedding of what's-his-name and what's-her-name. <laughs> Jack and Eugenie? Yeah? We're in good company. Now, look, obviously, I don't know all of you, but I'm pretty confident that none of you will have merited an invite on your own. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be proven wrong, but I doubt that that's the case. But there is maybe a very slim chance that you could have gotten in as a plus one. Maybe, just maybe, you have a long-lost relative back in England or, or somewhere like that uh, who has rediscovered your name and rediscovered your family history and said, you know what, I'm going to take them. They can be my plus one, my partner at this wedding. If that was the case, you'd get to be there. You would have a legitimate place there. You get to meet the, celebra the celebrities, you get to enjoy all the pomp and ceremony. Uh, I imagine the refreshments at a royal wedding are good, if not great. You get to enjoy them. I don't know if royals do bonbonniers or wedding favours. They would have to be pretty good. You would be able to tell us. And all of that, all of that would be yours at absolutely no cost to you. Not because you're particularly special, but because of your partner, because of knowing them. If anyone was to come up to you and say, I don't know you, are you sure you're in the right spot? You'd be able to say yes. Not because of me, but because of the person I'm with. I'm with them. That's what knowing Jesus is like. That's what knowing Jesus is like. You are with him. You are in him. And that means you get to enjoy all the benefits of that status. Paul outlines them for us in verse 9 through 11. And being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. So here are the benefits of knowing Christ laid out for us. You are not lost, you are found in him. You are not who you were, you have a new identity. You are now in him and with him. Therefore you are righteous as he is righteous. Therefore you are alive as he is alive. Therefore you are destined for eternity as he is destined for eternity. You have confidence and joy. You are found in him sharing in his righteousness. That is, sharing in right standing before God. There's no barrier between you and God anymore. All that sin had separated is gone and you know God. You have perfect relationship with him. You get to share all of that, even to Jesus' resurrection power and eternal life. That is the blessings of knowing him. Now, I know it's a bit far-fetched, but imagine that you and one million other people are at an auction. There's only one item for sale at this auction and it is a wonder drug. <laughs> it is something special. There's, there's, there's nothing else like it in the whole of the world. This drug promises life forever. You will not die. And what's more, it will make you rich forever. You will not lack for anything again. And it's you and one million other people bidding for this drug. You can imagine what that auction is going to look like. It is going to be a frenzy. It is going to be frantic, isn't it? Because everyone's clearly going to want that. Uh, you, you, you're going to be desperate to get it. All of you, the, you know, the price is going to skyrocket. You'll be mortgaging your house. You'll be trying to arrange loans. You'll be trying to raise funds in whatever means you can, selling everything you've got to get a hold of this drug. It's just worth it, isn't it? But... You're going to be very calm if you know that the drug maker, your friend, has that morning been in your house and put a dose in your bedside drawer. You're not, you're not going to be frantic, are you? You're not going to be frenzied or, 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 or wild trying to get this. You're going to be very calm. You're going to be very confident. You might even be very joyful and very happy as opposed to everyone around you. And that is what knowing Jesus is all about. You are saved, you are rescued from, from desperately, frantically, wildly trying to save or justify your own existence by whatever means possible because you know you don't need to. You don't have to do that anymore because you know him. And you know that everything you need, righteousness before God, eternity in perfection, is yours already. It's in your bedside drawer, so to speak. And because of that, you are calm, you have confidence and you have joy. See, that is why knowing him is the greatest treasure of all. A treasure so wonderful that compared to it, everything else is like dog poo. And it's a confidence and joy that lasts no matter what happens. Will, will suffering come? Yes. I mean, Paul says that's actually part of knowing him. It's not an accident, it's not a sign that you're heading down the wrong path, but actually that you're part of him and with him. Does your, does your life take a strange turn? Is there an unexpected event or crisis? Well, maybe. Look at verse 11 again. 
and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's not saying, I'm not sure if I'll make it. He's saying, I'm not sure how I'm going to get there. (laughs) I know where I'm going. I just don't know where the path's going to take me yet and it doesn't matter because the destination is fixed. It doesn't matter what twists and turns life takes because where we're going is written in stone and we're not going to miss it. Can you say you have that confidence and that joy that comes from knowing Jesus? If not, there's probably, no, there's one of two reasons. Firstly, you're not trusting in Jesus alone or you're not understanding what it means to trust in Jesus alone and what you have in him. And the solution for both is really the same. It's come to know him and come to know him more. Maybe come to know him for the first time. It's actually simply just a matter of talking to him. Uh, If that's not your habit, that might feel strange. Uh, You can do it by yourself, quietly, out loud. You can do it with someone else, but that's all you need to do. Just talk to him. Like any other conversation, if you like, you introduce yourself, tell him of your need, for him. Tell him of your trust in him and come to know him. If you've done that already, keep talking to him. Remember how great a treasure he is. Remember how rich the blessings found in him are. Ask him for help that you will prize him more. Spend time with other people who trust him, that they can help you to trust him and know him more. That they can point you to him Simply know him because in knowing him you will find that confidence and that joy that Paul describes here in great abundance. But knowing isn't a once-off thing, is it? We can't pretend that it is. Uh, All of you who are married uh, will agree one of the most amazing things about marriage is you always learn more about your spouse. (laughs) Sometimes things that surprise you, sometimes things that you welcome. (laughs) Sometimes not. (laughs) Uh, And it doesn't matter how long you've been married for. That's always the case, isn't it? Whether it's one year or five or ten or fifty, you keep learning. You keep knowing each other better. And what our passage here tells us is the same is true in knowing Jesus. We just keep getting to know him better, prizing him more, trusting him more, experiencing his power in our lives more, enjoying this, this confidence and joy that we get in him more. And that was true for Paul as well. He describes it in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. See, even Paul said, I don't know Jesus nearly as much as I would love to. And so I press on to do it more and more, responding to the love that he's shown me more and more. Because one day we'll know him fully. Verse 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, if knowing Jesus is the best thing, if knowing him is a treasure beyond compare, if knowing Jesus is the destination, the goal of our lives 
then run to him now. Know him more now. Seek him now. Because he is that good. He is worth getting. He is worth running to. Uh, I never have and I never will run an ultra marathon. <laughs> Shocking, I know. <laughs> uh, and if you set me on the starting line, I am heading the other way. I have no desire to do that. Uh, it just does not attract me whatsoever. <laughs> but if you set me on that track and say, at the finish line there is $100 million written out to you, guaranteed if you finish, all you need to do is finish. <laughs> I'm off, <laughs> I'm going. Bung knee and all, unfitness and all, I'm there. Kilometre after kilometre, um, I'm told ultramarathons usually run 160 plus kilometres. I'm doing it. I'm not going to be fast, <laughs> but I'm not going to stop. It's going to take me days. It might even take me weeks, but we're going to make it there. <laughs> you and I are having a word afterwards. <laughs> I'm going to make it, aren't I? Because all I need to do to keep going is fix my eyes on that prize. I mean, it's guaranteed me. All I need to do is get there. And that's what Paul wants us to do. Fix our eyes on this prize because it is incredible. I mean, $100 million is nothing compared to this. It, it's, it's dung, it's dog poo compared to this. Because this prize is life guaranteed forever. It is perfection you cannot imagine that will be all yours. It is knowing Jesus fully, perfectly, face to face even, for all time. See, when you know him, when you know this is the goal, you lift your eyes, fix them on that prize and in doing so you will be able to run that race confidently and joyfully even. Whatever that race brings, you'll run it well. You'll keep going because you know your goal and you know that your goal is good. If that race runs through job loss, you won't stop. If it goes through health scare or relationship breakdown, you'll feel the pain of it, but you won't falter. If it goes past cancer or the loss of a loved one, you may stumble, but you won't stop. You know that painful things will come but far better is ahead. You won't be distracted by the good either. Job opportunity or job success may be a downhill with a tailwind, but you won't turn aside. Wealth or achievement won't lower your eyes because the prize ahead pales all those things into insignificance. A candle is bright in a dark room, but in daylight it is nothing. So too all those distractions of the world are nothing compared to the sun that is Jesus. They are dim next to him. Things to be enjoyed, things to be endured, but not things to turn us aside. Nothing compared to the goal. We need to strive for this race, joyfully, confidently, but striving nonetheless. It's not just a waltz in the park, it is a hard race. There will be seasons of sprinting, there will be seasons of jogging, There'll be seasons where you just put one foot in front of the other. There'll be seasons when all you can do is crawl inch by inch. But in all of those seasons, the goal is still good. And so we keep going. Ask yourself, what's preventing you running well? 
What, what is it that's distracting you? What is it that's entangling you and holding you back? What is it that's lowering your eyes? And get rid of them. Or at the very least, put them in their place. And lift your eyes, fix them on the goal that is coming and run well. Knowing Jesus in the unshakable joy and confidence that he gives and every day knowing him more and looking forward to that day where you will know him fully. So trusting him now, treasuring him now, seeking him now, talking to him now, listening to his word now, practising his ways now, serving his people, the other runners nearby you now and in all those things knowing him more with your joy and confidence set on the day you'll know him perfectly. It's always exciting to have a new baby in church. It's one of the things I love about baptisms. Uh, there's just there's so much potential, isn't there? You can't help but look at a new child and think, you know, who are they going to be? What are they going to do? Where are they going to end up? What are they going to achieve? I mean, their whole life is ahead of them. What opportunity? What possibility? And I know, Patrick and Sarah, what, whatever the answer to those questions may be, uh, that what you guys want for Lucinda and for James as well, above all else, is exactly what Paul's describing here. That, that confidence, that joy of knowing Jesus as her saviour. And I know that for other parents here, for all other parents. That's, that's what we want for our kids, isn't it? In fact, even broader, that's what we, we want as a church family for each other. It's, it's what we want for our community yet as well. That, sh- that, that, that unshakable confidence, that unshakable joy that's found only in knowing Jesus and being found in him forever. We want that and let's, so let's speak that to each other. Let's speak of that joy and confidence in good times and in hard. Let's, let's model a life of prizing it and striving for it. Let's pray that God would make himself known to our kids, to our friends, to each other in ever-increasing measure so that this, this joy, this confidence found in him can be theirs too. Let's pray that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the unimaginably rich blessing that you have lavished upon us in Jesus, your Son. We thank you that by his death, his blood shed on the cross, you have taken away everything that stood between us. All our sin and its penalty is gone so that we can know you and we can be found in you. We praise you that in him we find true and lasting confidence and joy, that in him we are declared righteous before you. We are given eternal life in perfection. Father, we pray that you may give us this joy and this confidence in increasing measure as we even now strive to know him better. But we pray also for those who don't know him yet, that they may meet Jesus, that they may know him as they are known by him and that they may find in him this joy and this confidence in being his. Father, may he be all our treasure. May he be the goal that we strive to above all other things we pray. In his name, amen.